Well, we're back into our study in the book of Revelation. It seems like this has dragged on for a while. But we're getting closer to the end. We want to hear the end, right? We win in the end. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we finished up chapter 17, which talks about the destruction of the false religion that's going to happen during that time. Uh, during the tribulation, there's going to be a one-world religion and a one-world economic and political system. And the two of them are kind of intertwined. The political system allows the religious system to exist, and in turn, the religious system backs up everything the political system wants to do. Kind of, so, strange bedfellows. And that religion is comprised of every false cult and idol worship that you can imagine, all rolled into one big, one big ball. That includes all the New Age material we see now, Astrology, fortune-telling, tarot cards, all those things are kind of rolled up into one big ball. And this false religion will be in, co in cooperation with the Antichrist government. The government protects them and builds them up, and in return, that religion supports whatever the government wants to do. But in chapter 17, the Antichrist, he's had enough of that. Now he wants worship for himself, and so he has to destroy the false churches out there, the false religion that's out there. Because now he doesn't want to share that with whatever religion's going on. So God uses the Antichrist to pour his wrath out upon that false religion. Like he used Babylon to punish the Jews, he is going to use the Antichrist and his government to persecute and destroy the false religion. So now we come to chapter 18. Now, my Bible has little headings above each chapter. And this one, my Bible says, gives it the heading, the fall of Babylon. Now, a lot of people think this is the real city of Babylon. Some feel it's a symbol of the world system. But since chapter 17 talks about the harlot being like a Babylon, we're gonna, I believe that it's, it's talking about the world system in that particular moment. So Babylon, in verse 17, verse five, says, Babylon the great, the mother of all prostitutes, talking about using figurative language to talk about the false religion of that day and so when we come to chapter 18 when it talks about Babylon it's also referring to the false political and economic system of that time so verse 1 says this after after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven with great authority and the earth grew bright with its splendor now it seems that this vision takes place sometime after the previous one in chapter 17 uh, the phrase after all this so it's a there's a time lag there it doesn't tell us how long but it must be significant for him to say after that now verse 2 says he gave a mighty shout Babylon is fallen the great city is fallen she has become a hideout of demons and evil spirits a nest for filthy buzzards and a den for dreadful beasts so not only do we have the ending of this political system it seems, it seems to be a different angel than the first one. And it says, after, in verse 1, it says, another angel come down. So you have one angel talking about chapter 17, another angel coming down to talk about chapter 18. And since the church is gone and the Holy Spirit's not present, that means demonic forces are free to roam without restraint. So when it says, it became the hideout of demons and evil spirits, that's what they're talking about. The, ev the demonic influences are all throughout the world, influencing everything. 
when the Holy Spirit's gone, when the church is gone, the Holy Spirit's influence, evil is going to flourish. And that's what they're talking about. Everything that's evil is now part of this world system. When it says filthy buzzards or unclean birds, you have an image of the enemy. The enemy God refers to unclean animals or unclean birds as Satan. Matthew 13 says a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath and what? The birds came and ate them. And then Matthew 13 later on, he's, he explains the story. He says, now here's the explanation of the story about the farmer sowing grain. The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear God's good news about the kingdom and don't understand it. And then the evil one comes and snatches the seed away from their heart. How many have been in church for quite a while? How many of you were in church a long time before you actually got saved? Why was that? Because you heard the gospel, but the enemy snatched that seed away. He put things in your life to take it away from you until finally you came to know Christ. And God is going to use all these unclean birds that he's talking about that, that do the enemy's work He's going to use those to eat the carcasses of the dead people that God judges. Look ahead to Matthew, or Revelation 19. It says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet that God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and captains and strong warriors, of horses and their riders and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. So the unclean birds that are there, the filthy buzzards that the Bible calls them. God's going to use those again to pick and clean up what he kills and judges. Back to Revelation 18 verse 3 says, For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passionate immorality. The rulers of the world have committed adultery with her and the merchants have grown rich as a result of her luxurious living. So here God's talking about judging the commercial and economic systems. We, he did away with the religious system. Now God's going to judge the political and economic system. The economic systems will have intoxicated people with all the pleasures it can afford. Now it's an example of 2 Timothy 3, 4. It says, They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than love God. The enemy is going to give the world at that particular moment. For those who take the mark, it's going to be a, be a very prosperous time. They're going to have all kinds of great things. Remember what the devil said to, the, to Jesus in the garden? Matthew 4 says, Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you. He said, If you only need to kneel down and worship me. The enemy will give you anything you want if you worship him. If you put him first, he will give you what you want in order to keep that going. He'll do it during the tribulation and he does it right now. He did it way back to Israel. Every time Israel was blessed, what happened? They forgot God. How often do we forget about God when everything seems to be going great? Bills are paid, things are going good. I have money in the bank, I'm not sick, I'm healthy. And all of a sudden, we kind of forget about God because we don't need him, right? 
it seems like God has to take all those things away from us to come back. And God's going to take it all away in chapter 18 so that people understand the consequences of forgetting about God. When I pray for folks who aren't Christian, I pray, Lord, give to them what they need to come to Christ. Take from them everything that keeps them from Christ. Because a lot of the blessings that God gives us, we substitute that for God. And the minute that God takes those away from us, oh, maybe our eyes will be open and we'll come back to Christ. Verse four says, then I heard another voice calling from heaven. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you'll be punished with her. So it's another voice, but here he's calling for those who still haven't taken the mark. There's a few left. Most have been martyred, most have been killed, but there's a few folks left who haven't taken the mark. And God's saying, this is your last chance. Get away from the system. Don't give in to the system. Judgment's coming. Don't be a part of it. I know it's very tempting at the time that you want to eat, you want to you know, feed your kids. God says, don't join them. Don't join them. And if they do, they'll be judged along with everybody else. And that's no different than it is today. God tells us not to join the world system. It's easy to live like the world. It's easy to do what everyone else is doing. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore come out from them. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Now it doesn't mean we go live in a commune. But it does mean we don't participate in the same sins that the world participates in. There's a lot of things that if we're not careful as Christians, we will get involved in because it sounds good. But it's part of the world system. Now I'm not saying everything in the world is bad. We don't want to become a part of the system that draws us away from Christ. And this voice that they're hearing now in Revelation 18 is saying the same thing. Don't participate in what the world is doing. When we were on vacation, we actually skipped church on a Sunday, waiting for the lightning to fall. And we went to, took the grandkids to breakfast. You want to know where everybody is on Sunday morning? <laughs> they're eating at restaurants. Our old church, we lived on the road from a big horse race track. And every Sunday morning as you drive, it was called Racetrack Road, you, you drive down Racetrack Road and you see these line of cars at eight o'clock in the morning waiting to get into the racetrack to bet on horses. We don't want to become a part of that. Bible says we're to gather together and, and granted you have vacation time. But the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The word will tell you, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, technically true. But the Bible also says, once you become a Christian, don't forsake it. You need to be around other Christians for encouragement and you need to be a blessing to other people. So it's easy to say, you know what? Everybody else is sleeping in on Sunday, so I guess I'll do it. Or you know what? Everyone else is watching this show or everybody else is doing this. The world seems to be doing this. So maybe I'll do that as well. If you live and, ex and act exactly like the world the Bible says you need to check your walk. 
2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourself to see if your faith is really genuine. Test yourself. If you cannot tell that Jesus Christ is among you, it means you have failed the test. Ask yourselves, is my lifestyle or how I live different from those who aren't believers? The old joke that says, if, if being a Christian was a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you of that? Back in Revelation 18 says, for her sins were as powed as high as heaven, and God is ready to judge her for her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to your people. Give her double penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so give her twice as much as she gave out. She has lived in luxury and pleasure, so match it now with torments and sorrows. She boasts, I am queen of my throne. I am no helpless widow. I will not experience sorrow. Therefore, the sorrows of death and mourning and famine will overtake her in a single day. She will be utterly consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. There's a time coming when God says, I've had enough. The sins are piled as high as heaven, the Bible says. Just like the Tower of Babel, they tried to reach heaven. They thought they were good enough, they can do all that they wanted to, and they were going to be as God. And look what happened to them. When it says do to her, it's not a command for the believers that God calls out. It's still the voice from heaven asking God to do all these things to the world system. So let's reread that verse again. For her sins are as powered as high as heaven, and God is ready to judge her for all her evil deeds. God, do to her as she had done to your people. Jesus, give her a double penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so God, give her twice as much as she gave out. She has lived in luxury and pleasure, so God, match it now with torments and sorrows. God is the one who's being asked to do this by the voice. And verse seven, she says, the world system says, I am the queen of my throne, I am no helpless widow. I will not experience sorrow. You ever talk to people who think that nothing's ever going to happen to them? Everything's going white, nothing, I'm fine. People who feel they have a protection against any, kind of, any type of hardship or sorrow. Anybody you know that seems that way? All those folks we see today who seem to get away with so much wrongdoing and corruption and nothing seems to be able to get them to stop. But God's keeping score. God is going to handle it. Verse 8 says, Therefore the sorrows of death and mourning and famine will overtake her in a single day. She will be utterly consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Now whether that's a person or a corrupt system, even if we don't see anything happening now, God knows and God is going to handle it. God will judge accordingly. Basically, what that means is you can't live in a world worried about what's going on because you can't change most of it. Can't live our lives worried and fearful of what's happening around us. God's your protector, not the world, not those in leadership, not those in government. God's your protector. 
Don't worry about that. Last week we went to the Billy Graham prayer and worship night. And the speaker said this. You know, we know the verse John 10:10. 10, 10, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He focused on the word steal. What does the enemy steal from you? Now you're a Christian. For the most part, he can't steal that from you. But what does he steal? He steals your joy. He steals your peace. He steals your hope. You can be a Christian and have no joy because you let everything around you bother you. The peace that God says he'll give you, you can just, he can steal that from you. The enemy can steal your hope. How many have ever been hopeless? Wake up on a, mo- on a Monday morning and just feel like nothing's ever going to get better. That's the enemy taking your hope from you. And if you have a constant diet of nightly news and social media, the enemy will use those to steal your peace and your joy. I can't, I've said I can't watch the news. I can't watch commentary because I just get upset and mad and I lose my joy. God is in control no matter what you see happening around you. So the Bible says look up. Look up. Be joyful. The Bible says we are to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Something you have to do. You have to let it. It doesn't happen by accident. And how do you let it rule? You let it rule by reading this. This gives you the peace. It's good to read devotionals along with that to encourage you. I do. But this is what your your joy comes from. This is where your peace comes from. Verses 9 and 10 says, And the rulers of the world who took part in her immoral acts and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, How terrible, terrible for Babylon, that great city. In one single moment, God's judgment came on her. So here we see those in power, the Bible calls them rulers of the world, terrified in the destruction that happened in a day. Because now their power and position have come to an end. But they're only concerned for what happens to them, not for what happens to anybody else under their authority. They see the destruction of the economic system, but it really hasn't affected them yet but they know it's inevitable. Verse nine says, and the rulers of the world who took part in her immoral acts and enjoyed her great luxury. You know, you read through the Proverbs and read through the Psalms. God hates those who profit from the hardship of others. And these rulers did exactly that. They profited from the hardship on the backs of the common people. Verse 10 says, they will stand at a distance terrified by her great judgment. What happens is they stay away from the judgment. They see the economic system collapsing before them. They still have what they have. They're terrified that they're going to lose whatever potential they had. They don't go down to help. They stay back terrified as long as it doesn't get me. They don't want to get caught up in it. 
and they make no effort to help those who are instantly affected by it. Verse 10 says, they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for Babylon, that great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on her. Oh, that great city, we're up here, we're doing good, we, we still have our stuff, but I, I feel bad for the people down there, and I feel bad for all the things I'm not going to get now. And he says, that great city. And for years, that city has been able to defy God, kill his people, and stave off any resistance. These leaders, I'm thinking that they thought, this is going to last forever. I have all this power and position and all this money that I've gotten from the backs of everybody else. I'm set. Nothing's going to stop it. But now they see in one day destruction of that system. And if Babylon was so great and mighty, how much greater is God to destroy it in a single day? Sometimes you look around the world and you think, is it ever going to end? It's going to end at some point. God's going to pour judgment upon the world at some point. Now, we don't want to be a part of that. We don't, we're not going to be here for that if you're a believer. But it's easy to get frustrated at what's happening. But realize that God, nothing gets past God's sovereign hand. Verse 11 the merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She brought great quantities of gold and silver and jewels and pearls and fine linen, purple dyes, silk, scarlet cloth, every kind of perfumed wood, ivory goods, objects made from expensive wood, bronze, iron, and marble. She also brought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, Yes, she even traded in human lives. So the first part you had is the rulers of the world. Basically, they're politicians, all right? They're crying out. And now you step down into the city, and you have the leaders of commerce, basically CEOs of corporations, business owners. And they see they have all these surpluses of stuff that in their warehouses that now they can't sell because no one has any money. The economic system is done and all their money now is tied up in supplies that no one can buy and apparently at this point the banks have closed the current money is worthless and i thought about that think 1929 what happened in, in basically a day everybody lost everything or go further back imagine being in the south and having all kinds of confederate currency what happened to that after the Civil War? Psst, worthless. So we've seen that in history. So we know it's possible. Not only possible that God is going to do that in one single day. Up to 1929, things were pretty good, right? We had the Roaring Twenties is what we heard. And the South had it pretty good before the Civil War. All this currency. And basically after one day or one event, gone so you have these businesses that have stockpiling goods to be sold so it seems to be a, a period of prosperity they're buying all this stuff because they know they're going to sell it they have all these hordes of things no money tied every all their money is tied up in their possessions to sell and now they have nothing for sale or nothing no one can buy what they have for sale and look what they had for sale gold silver jewels pearls fine linen 
purple dye, silk, scarlet cloth, every kind of perfumed wood, ivory goods, objects made of expensive wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Economy was booming. Everything was going great. And if they can't sell any of it, and that means all the mega rich people who would normally buy it, for some reason can't. And if they can't sell any of it, that means they're broke. They're losing everything. Verse 14 says, all the fancy things you love so much are gone. The luxuries and splendor that you prize so much will never be yours again. They are gone forever. You wonder why it's necessary to list all these items. Couldn't he just said expensive things? And look at the second list. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, even human lives. I think God wants to illustrate how prosperous the world was and that all of the prosperity was because of immoral activity. Everything that they had, every material possession, all the money, the gifts they had, the, the material products they had for sale, all was because they did it immorally, illegally. Sounds like today. The world is prosperous, at least our world here is prosperous. And look how many people don't follow Christ because things are good. If you remember back at the first Gulf War, churches were packed. We, we responded, we were at war, churches were packed. About a month later, churches weren't as packed. 9-11 happened, same thing. Churches are packed. A couple of months later, people leave because they're in it for what God can do for them. Oh, God, help me, God, help me. But once they have all their things back and everything's back, they're good, they're fine. And the minute we trust in the things that we have is the minute that God's gonna take those away from you. Because he wants you more than he wants you to have things. Again, the merchants were concerned only about themselves, not for the people who would buy them. Verse 15, the merchants who became wealthy by selling her things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was so beautiful, like a woman clothed in finest purple and scarlet linen, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. And at one single moment, all the wealth of the city was gone. No matter how much wealth we seem to accumulate, it never seems to be enough. How many remember, a few older folks, when you first got married, you had little, and it was okay. You made it. It's funny, kids want, when they first get married, they want everything you've accumulated after 30 years, they want it in the first year of marriage. And they want it now. They don't want to work for it, they want to have it given to them. Not everybody, but that's the general consensus. When you tell the kids of what you used to do, they just can't believe it. You actually didn't have air conditioning growing up? No. 
You actually didn't have TV growing up? No. No computers, no phones? What happens is you get caught up in the material things and you forget about God. Don't let God's blessings take you away from him. This entire chapter is only about material things and the effects that it has on people. This entire chapter mentions nothing of the spiritual. All these are material things, external things, possessions. They're all worried about what they have. Nobody is worried about their spiritual walk. You know people like that? They care more about what they have or what they could lose than they care about who they are with God. Now I want to close. I didn't finish the chapter, but I want to close with this because sometimes if we're not careful, this could be us. I remember King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, for most of his life, was a pretty good guy. But near the end of his life, he got cocky. He got, had a bunch of stuff and he felt good about himself and all, these, all of a sudden these things became more important to him than God. And so near the end of his life, he invites his enemy into the palace to see everything that he's got. Second Kings 20 says, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, What do these men want? Where are they from? Hezekiah replied. They came from the distant land of Babylon. Babylon, sound familiar? What happened? What was his heart? His heart was his material possessions. And what happened? He leaves the enemy into his heart. 2 Kings 20, 15 says, They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything. Everything I own, all my treasures. Notice how he phrased that. Everything I own, all my treasures. No credit to God. No humility. Look at everything that I have. Look at everything that I have amassed over the years. And just like the merchants in Revelation 18, he's only concerned about what he had acquired, not for what was happening to the kingdom and the spiritual walk of the people there. And what happens is he gets rebuked by the prophet. Verse 16 says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything you have All the treasures stored up by your ancestors will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your own descendants will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. How many have been to funerals? Everything you have, you don't take. You lose everything at that point. And if you live for only for the things that you have amassed over your lifetime and you don't look at the spiritual man, there's going to come a point where everything you have is taken away from you. And now you're going to stand before God. And you're not going to have anything with you. Now you would think that at this point, Hezekiah would repent, fall on his knees and say, I'm, you're right, I'm sorry, forgive me, Lord. In verse 19, it seems that he does it. It says, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The message you have given me from the Lord is good. So what happened? He heard the message. 
He said it was good, but it didn't change him. How often do you hear sermons or lessons or read something in the Bible, you like it, and you agree with it, but you don't do it? How many have heard people that hear a sermon and says, you know, so-and-so should have heard that sermon? Well, how about maybe you should have heard that sermon? <laughs> Hezekiah did not care about that prophecy, did not care about the judgment because why? It did not affect him personally. Verse 19 says, but the king was thinking, well, at least there'll be peace and security during my lifetime. God was rebuking in Revelation all the people that amassed all this stuff, one, for doing it immorally, and two, for not caring about the people that it was affecting. And it's easy to think about all these things we've been doing this, how many is this? 31. 31 lessons in Revelation so far. That's like half a year. More than half a year. But when you hear it so often, it's easy to think, at least there'll be peace and security in my lifetime because I'm not going to be here for it. I'll be raptured. Do you have that attitude? Whew, at least I'm not going to be here during the tribulation, so I'm not really worried about what's going to happen then, and I'm, not, I'm good with what's happening right now. Well, you might be raptured, but not all of your relatives are going to be raptured. Not all of your friends are going to be raptured. You want them going through this? Now, having things and material possessions is not a sin. Having God bless you with money and wealth is not a sin. As long as you hold on to those things loosely. You give God the glory and the thanks and the credit for everything you have. But everything you have should be focusing you on those who don't have Christ. All those things are God's business. And we should care about those who don't yet know Christ. Why don't we study Revelation? Well, the verse we said many times, <clears throat> God blesses the one who reads the prophecy to the church, me, he blesses all who listen to it, you, but, and obey what it says. For the time is coming, or the time is near when these things will happen. Now that's God's word. Basically, that's a promise. This stuff's coming soon. And I believe the time is near, not because I believe it, because the Bible says it's near. And the Bible says we're blessed for that. Now, I can't really dictate what my blessing is. I can't say, okay, God, for my blessing, I want this. But if I could choose what I want for my blessing, I don't want money or things. I want people to come to know Christ. I want my family to come to know Christ. He blesses the one who reads this prophecy. Lord, I want that blessing to be people coming to know you. I want that to burn in my head all the time. 
what the reality of tribulation is going to be and even more so what the reality of hell is going to be. So Lord, I don't, want, I don't want things. If you're going to bless me, Lord, I want people to come to know Christ. I want my family, I want my friends to come to know Christ. That's the promise I want. And we've been praying, 2 Peter 3, 9, for God is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. All to come to repentance. So that's God's will. Not everybody does, but that's his will. Just like you have a will for your kids, I want my kids to do this when they get older. Well, they may or may not do that, but it's your will that you want them to succeed. You want them to accomplish things. God wants people to come to know Christ. And I know that's, your, that's what you guys want too. You want to claim that promise for yourself. We heard it was a, the, the teaching for praise and worship night was great. We had a good time of prayer. And the one thing that we talked about, we stressed was God hears the prayer. The prayer for salvation, God hears. You praying for people to be saved, God hears that prayer. Everybody here who knows Christ, somebody prayed for you. Your life was changed because somebody prayed for you. And we pray for those on our list, those on our, our 10 most wanted list, the Billy Graham thing coming up, all those folks we're praying for, God hears those prayers. And God works in the lives of the people that we're praying for. And that means we pray for them that God, you do what you need to do in their life so they come to know you. And we want, we want God to do great things here and we pray for that. We pray for the Holy Spirit to move and, and bless us. But at the end of the day, the number one thing we need to do is let people know about Christ. Because everything that we are blessed with, whether it's material things or even health, it's all gonna be gone. And what do we have to show for it? We wanna make sure that when our time comes, that we don't say to ourselves, hey, at least there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. As a parent, how would you say that with your kids? Well, children, I don't care what happens to you as long as my life is good. You think that was a horrible parent. We want God to use us and to give us a burden for people. We want revival. You know what revival is? Revival is when people get saved. It's a move of the Spirit, and God does things here, but ultimately revival is when people get saved. And we want revival in our personal life and in our church and in our community. And we got the Billy Graham thing coming up and that's great and God can use that and God's going to use that to get many people saved. But there's a lot of people that are out in our community that aren't going to go to that thing that we have communication with, we talk with. One of the things we learned at the counseling class yesterday was how to be bold. How to go up to talk to people about Christ. We don't want anyone to go through this. We need to have the, the urgency of what is really coming. Whether we see it in our lifetime, whether we are raptured, or when we die. Because when we die, we no longer have influence on anybody. Our prayers will continue on, but we don't have the ability to talk to anybody. And if we die without Christ, there's no second chance. So if you're not, if you're not a believer and you think you can weather this storm, 
You're not. You may be okay for a while, but in the end, everyone gets judged. And you either know Christ or you don't know Christ. There's no, there's no second chance. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory. You either will wind up in heaven or you will wind up in hell. That's the choice. And the time to make that decision is today. So would you stand and close your eyes for a moment with me? You know, each, each one of us should be very thankful to the grace of God. That God continued, he was long-suffering with each one of us. None of us, I don't think, got saved the very first time we heard it. Even if we did, we had a lot of years behind us that we didn't. So God was, was putting up with us until we came to know Christ. And the Bible says we did that because God drew us and we responded. And there's so many people out there that we know that our family, our friends, who don't have this relationship. And it seems like a broken record that every Sunday we, we talk about this. But that's, that's why we exist as a church. We pray for God's blessing and we pray for healing and we pray for provision and miracles and God does all of the above. But all those happen as a testimony to the people outside of what God can do. God wanted Israel to be a testimony to the world of God's blessing and provision. And they failed. Now God raises up the church to do the same thing. To let the world see God's provision and God's blessing and God's peace and God's joy in us. So that they see what God can do in us. And they would want what we have. If you're here this morning, you've never committed your life to Christ. You're not here by accident. You're here because God ordained you to be here. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. We can't make it to heaven because we're good enough, because we're not. We're sinners. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. We deserve to be judged and sent to hell for our sins. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is, is eternal life through Christ. Jesus paid that debt for us. When he suffered and died on the cross, he, did, he took upon himself the punishment that we should have received. And the Bible says all you have to do is believe it, not just in your head, but in your heart. That it's a life-changing experience that the Holy Spirit will take residence in your spirit, will make you alive to the things of God, and make you want to be more like Jesus. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Christ, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next Sunday, today. So if you feel the draw of the Holy Spirit, you feel like you're thinking about God, the Bible says it's because God's making you think about him. And God is drawing you 
but you have to make the choice. He's not going to force you to do anything. He wants you to do that because you want to do it. So if you want Jesus to come in and forgive you, cleanse you and give you a clean slate with God, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to assume that all of us are committed followers of Christ. So Father, we do come to you in the name of Jesus. And we are eternally grateful for how you've changed our life. Our lives aren't perfect and we all struggle. But God, we can still have joy and peace because of you. We trust you. And you give us that joy and peace and hope. And we have hope for eternal life with you. And we are eternally grateful for all you've done for us. And I pray for each person here, each person who may be watching or may watch this in the future, I pray that God, you bless them. Because your Bible does say you give us great and precious promises that we can cling to. So Lord, I pray that you would meet every need. The Bible says focus on the things of God and God will take care of the needs for you. So Lord, I pray that each person listening will reach out to you for their needs and their healings and their provision as your word has promised. And I pray that many souls come to know you because of the miracles that you do in us and in this church, in this community. As we leave today, I pray that you would fill each one with the Holy Spirit, that we would feel and sense the power of God living in us, the ability to choose to do right when our flesh wants to do wrong. Fill us and overflow us and saturate us in the Holy Spirit so those temptations to do wrong are less and less and less. And the desire to do right becomes stronger and stronger every day. And Father, we will thank you for the change you make in us. And it's all because of Jesus we ask all these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night. Next Sunday. Ciao.